You know, there's somebody else that God's been faithful to as well. And this week in trying to figure out uh, where the Lord would have me, I, I think I wrote three, four sermons before I come to the conclusion as to what I was going to preach this morning. And isn't it incredible how God just kind of works that out that uh, when I finally fell onto the, the Scripture Friday evening, um, it's Psalms, 1, or Psalms 11. David also understood the faithfulness of God. David understood that in the darkest of times, in the most difficult of days, God was faithful to him. And Andrea comes along and I, I asked her Friday, I said, what are you going to sing so I could put it in the order of service? And she said, I don't know yet, I'm still struggling with it. Well, so was I. Uh, so she said, just put it in a special music. And God just loves to work that out. Thank you, Andrea, for being faithful. Now, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, um, I want to ask that we do what we've done in the past. If you would, those of you are here, stand with me as we honor the reading of the Word of the Lord. We're going to read the entire chapter 11. Now, you, you don't panic, it's only seven verses. All right? Um, so, Psalms 11 is a wonderful psalm of David, and, and it asks an important question here that we want to address today, especially uh, in light of what all has been going on. And starting in verse 1, it says, In the Lord put I my trust, how say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain. For lo, the wicked bend their bow, and they make ready their arrow upon the string, and that they may privy shoot at the upright in heart. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. The eyes behold and His eyelids try the children of men. The Lord tried the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth violence his soul hateth. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone and horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness, his countenance does behold the upright. Father, as we hear the reading of your word today, we're hearing the words of the psalmist David as he shares about the faithfulness of God in the midst of a, a broken world around him. Lord, I thank you that, Father, that when we find that we're living as we do in a broken world around us, the greatest place for us to go is to the Lord. And so, Father, thank you for the faithfulness of the Lord. Now, Father, I pray that you'd move me out of the way and hide me behind the cross so that the preaching of your word could be done today to encourage the saints and to challenge us to live uprightly before you in the days in which we're living today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you and you may be seated. Maybe you have asked this question this week. Maybe you've asked it a time or two or three as you've heard the news, as you've watched what's going on in our nation. What's wrong with the world? And what a great question for us to be asking today as we look at what's wrong with the world. As we think about all that's going on and all of the, the tragedy and all of the upheaval and all of the, the, the division that is among us, that question is on the minds of many people. And there's no shortage for answers today. Many are given answers such as the problem with the world today is our economic system, the education system, our government. Oh, it's the broken welfare system. It's corporate privilege. It's declining morality. Oh, no, it's the fundamentalist religion. And the list goes on and on and on. Each group has their idea of what's wrong with the world today. But as you think about the answers that they give just for a little bit, it's hard not to, uh, to see that they're, they're not very comprehensive in their answers. They, they really uh, pretend to know what's wrong with the world while they're overlooking what's going on in their own lives. You see, as we ask the question, and we really think about the question, what's wrong with the world? 
Not just what's wrong with America today and why are we rioting and looting and why are we so divisive and why are we so broken as a nation. But think about the whole world and its problems. And we think about the fact that the the answer is very simple. It's contained in this great book that God gave us. For it says to us, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It begins to tell us from the beginning to the end that there is a problem that happened. God created it perfectly. We broke it. And God is saying to us, I'm the only one that can fix it. And so we need to look at the fact that what's wrong with the world cannot be answered in a simple this or that problem. The answer is found in none other than the faithfulness of our God. In Jesus Christ and what he did on Calvary's cross. So when we think about that question, it includes all of human history from the beginning all the way to the end of human history as we will know it one day. When you ask what's wrong with the world, make sure you don't leave out the person that you're most prone to leave out, yourself. You see, it's real easy to point a finger at something or someone else and forget that we're a part of the problem. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I have sinned. You have sinned. The problem is we have a sin problem, and that sin problem shows itself up in everything else that we do. I pray today that you will see the importance of the text that helping us to see the problem with our contemporary culture as well as the problem of our own personal heart. You see, we'll never change the culture around us until we recognize it has to begin in changing our own hearts. And church, I speak to you before I speak to others. It must begin in us. Our lifestyles have to represent Jesus Christ and His values within His Word before the world is ever going to look to us and say, you have the answer that we're looking for. The problem the world sees is they're confused with all of the answers they're getting because the true answer is not being lived out before them. So I pray that we might hear something today. David saw in his lifetime, through the reign of King Saul, the crumbling of a foundation of a nation called Israel. But David also had been the eyewitness to miraculous provisions of God, the faithfulness of God. I love the, 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 the things that we read about David. And he said, listen, when, when the, the children of Israel were at battle with the Philistines and they were facing Goliath, David, a young shepherd boy, said, listen, God saved me from the bear and from the lion. He can surely save me from this old guy. The faithfulness of God reveals himself through the life of David. David knew the protection of God even when Saul was trying to take his life. All through David's life, he experienced the answer to the question that is being asked in this text. So the importance of understanding this psalm comes down to verse 3. Let's go back to verse 3 just for a minute. And it says, the Lord, well, if I get on the right chapter, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? So here's a question that that David is being posed. Now, as we look at this, we find out David's not asking this question. David, as a believer, as one who has seen the faithfulness of God, he's not standing going, I don't know what I'm going to do. David is being asked by his naysayers, by those who are his critics, those of the evil saying, is your God going to protect you? What can you do living righteous for God? What's he going to do for the righteous? And David has the answer. He doesn't doubt the answer. He doesn't doubt the question. He knows the answer. And I want to take some time this morning just to reassure you and I that even though the foundations are crumbling around us, even though the nation seems to be falling apart at times, listen, what can the righteous do? There's a lot we can do. And there's a lot we need to do. 
And so I want to challenge you with, with, with some areas that we need to address today. David gives us this hope as we look to this psalm. Now, first of all, I think the very first thing that we need to do as Christians, we need to refuse to panic over the situation around us. My friends, I think that we need to understand that we cannot panic as everybody else is panicking. We cannot throw up our hands and wring our hands and, and wonder uh, and, and go hide in a cave. The thing is that we need to stand up and we need to shine. Let your light so shine that the world around you will see Jesus Christ living in you. We are to be the salt and delight of the world. The naysayers want the righteous to run and hide. David says there in verse 1, uh, uh, Am I going to flee like a bird to the mountains? Am I, am I going to run and hide? Absolutely not. The naysayers want the righteous to declare that their trust in the Lord and His Word has been for naught, for nothing. But David's psalm reminds us of those who have taken refuge in the Lord, who are never defeated. Listen, my friends, when the Lord is for us, who can be against us? Let's say it together. When the Lord is for us, who can be against us? We need to understand the very truth that no one can stand against God. They might stand against me or you, but when God stands on my side, there is nothing they can do. I love that song that Andy sings occasionally for us. Uh, Mercy comes a running or whatever, however that phrase, that's why I don't sing and he does. That, that, that song talks about we're standing in a courtroom and when the judgment is about to fall, mercy comes to our aid. That's our Lord. That's our God. So we need to recognize that in this psalm, David tells us that we can find refuge in the Lord. There are three things I want us to see about David's response here. First of all, the Lord is not threatened by the wicked. Did you hear me, my friends? The Lord is not threatened by the wicked. You and I hear their threats and it may cause our hair to stand up on the back of our necks. It may cause us to, to, to shake in our boots. But the Lord is not threatened by the, the wicked. There are two realities in David's highlights here in verse 4. Look at verse 4 with me if you would. Who has, uh, uh, as David says, the Lord is in his holy temple and the Lord's throne is in heaven and his eyes behold his eyelids try the children of men. All right, first of all, uh, the Lord is in his holy temple. Where is his holy temple? None other than heaven. The Lord is in heaven. He's well beyond the reach of the arrows of the wicked. It's David says that they're pulling back their strings. They're, they're setting their bows. They're pulling them back. Listen, my friends, I have shot arrows for a long, long time. And I've shot them 30, 40 yards. I've even shot them up in the air to see how far. I've never once come close to the kingdom of God. They've come close to taking me to the kingdom of God when they come back down. But I've never reached the, the kingdom of heaven with one of my arrows. And David say, listen, God sits upon his throne. He is not threatened by the things of this world because he is far beyond them. And, and David goes on to say the Lord's throne uh, is eternally secure. The foundation will hold. Nothing will shake his foundation. Can we praise God for that? That that which we have put our trust in cannot be shaken by the things of this world? The second thing that we hear in this verse is, His eyes behold, His eyelids try the children of men. Though the wicked may hide themselves in cover of darkness. Now isn't it something that evil does this? Evil doesn't show up when it can be seen, typically. It usually waits until the darkness of night. It slips in. As a matter of fact, it says that the Lord Himself said in John that the thief cometh when? In the night. To steal and to kill and to destroy. He comes under the cover of darkness. And, and, and I, I love our technology today. Um, you know, it used to be that after dark, you couldn't see the wildlife or you couldn't tell what was outside. Now we've got these cameras out there. They have night vision on them. And, and, and if something walks through our yard, we can take a picture of it. And we can see it clearly. 
Hey, that just reminds me that's what God could do all along. He said even in the midst of the darkness, God uh, didn't have to squint his eyes to see what we were doing. He knows what we're doing, even when we're trying to hide it in the darkness. He tells us that they cannot escape his watchful eye. And the imagery here is vivid. The reference to the Lord's eyelids testing the children of men uh, uh, communicates the, the Lord is leaning in. He's looking intently, cl- closing in and examining uh, what His creation is doing. His watch is active watching. He is not distant. He is not removed as some have said. Oh yes, you may have a God, but He's too far out there. He's far beyond you. Listen, my friends, if He knows the number of hairs that I had on my head, all right, uh, He knows the number of hairs you have on your head. He is not one who is distant. He is one who is personal. He is watching, caring, and, and examining His creation. He's not distant or removed or taken out of personal interest of the affairs of mankind. So while David and his friends may be surprised by the stealthiness of the attack of the wicked, the wicked are not surprising God at all. The second thing we see from this passage of these verses is the Lord will execute judgment upon the wicked. You see, the Lord wants us not to panic because He knows the Lord is going to execute the judgment upon the wicked. Secondly, uh, not only are the wicked unable to threaten God, He will also bring judgment upon them in due time. Before elaborating on this point, let me make it a quick note here. I know a lot of people get stumbled up about uh, things when it says, well, God hateth the wicked. All right, we get all, oh, but, God, but God's love, that can't be so. That must be a misprint. Listen, my friends, God loves everybody, but He hates the sin of the wicked. And, and we see that, that He has a right to do that, for He is the one who created everything perfectly. And sin has created it, a mess of it. And God says, I hate that you have destroyed that which I created perfectly. So He has every right every right to judge the, the, the wicked and the righteous. He has every right to do this. So, uh, God is love, no doubt, but as, uh, as He moves into this imagery, we're going to understand the Lord's hatred for the wicked is as much as uh, we all long to uh, see a good conqueror over evil. Now listen, now what I'm talking about is, how many of you love the Marvel movies? You know, Iron Man, Superman, you know, all of those guys, those great big heroes that Hollywood has created. Well, you know what? It's pretty obvious. They make billions of dollars every time they put out one of these movies so that the, the so-called hero can save the day. When, when, when the world is about to be destroyed, the hero flies in and saves the day and, and everybody cheers. We don't cheer for the wicked guy that's trying to destroy the world. We cheer for the hero who shows up and, and saves the world. You see... We can say that it doesn't make sense that God hates the wickedness of this world, but yet we do the very same thing in, 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 in celebrating the hero while we're saying, beat up the wicked guy. Consider the comparison that David is making between the weapons of the wicked versus the means of the Lord. The wicked are armed with bows and strings and arrows. The Lord is able to rain down coals and send forth wind filled with fire and sulfur. Now, you go back to the Old Testament and you find that there was a, a city called Sodom and Gomorrah. And in Sodom and Gomorrah, God had called them to repentance over and over and over again. But this wicked and immoral city would not repent of their wickedness. And God sent judgment. He rained fire down upon them. So listen, my friends, the, the, the bows and the arrows that the wicked have of this world, whatever they can throw at God, it's not going to touch Him. But everything that God throws at them is going to hit the mark. Judgment is coming for the wicked, my friends. We need to remember, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Therefore, we need not to take it into our own hands. We need to let God do what He's going to do. 
We need to be the light in the darkness. We need to be the salt of the earth. And we need to let God do His work of judging the, the wickedness of this world. Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 35 says, Vengeance is mine and recompense. Their foot shall slip in due time. For the day of their calamities is at hand, and the things to come hasten upon them. The third thing that we see in the fact that God doesn't want us to panic is the Lord will reward the righteous. The last thing I want you to see here in these few verses as we look at this point is found in verse 7. For the righteous, the Lord, Lord loveth righteousness. His countenance does behold the upright. Now listen, my friends, you don't have to study David's life real long to see that David was not a perfect man. David was a man just like us. He had his ups and he had his downs. He sinned and he, and he did things wrong and he committed major uh, offenses towards people and God. But he was considered a righteous man. Righteous in the fact that when he sinned, he came to God and he sought the forgiveness of God. He went to God and he understood his sin and he acknowledged his sin and he sought the forgiveness of the Lord. You see, the Bible tells us about David's life that uh, uh, the overarching theme of his life was a commitment to uphold the worth and value of the glory of God, which is seen in the way that David treasures God above all else. Because God was David's highest treasure, there could be no greater reward than one day to behold the face of God. David says in Psalms 27 verse 4, listen to what David's heart was. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. David's greatest desire of his heart was to live a life of righteousness so that one day he could leave the broken sinfulness of this world and he could see Jesus, God, face to face. And unless you love the Lord as well, unless God is loved above all else in your life, we won't probably understand David's logic. It won't make any sense to us how that we can, we can put everything else aside. But when we love the Lord God for what He has done for us and what He has brought to us and the salvation that He has given to us, it's really easy to say the things of this world grow strangely dim as I look closer and closer to Him. You see, the reality is, my friend, David loved the Lord. But for those of us who love Him like David loved Him, it makes sense. Imagine with me for just a moment what it will be like for you and I to behold the face of the Lord. I think about the fact that when um, Thomas, after the resurrection of the Lord, said, I will not believe unless I touch, unless I have that personal experience with the Lord. And then when Jesus meets Thomas and he, he says, Thomas, touch my side, touch my hands, he said, Thomas, blessed are you because you believed, because you saw. But blessed are those who believe, and yet they have yet to see. I'm looking forward to what I've yet to see. I've seen what He has done for me on Calvary's cross. I've seen how He's changed my life. Now I want to see Him face to face. I want to experience the glory of being in the presence of the throne room of God, in His holiness, in His wonderfulness, in His mercifulness, in His graciousness, that He's going to allow a sinner such as I to enter in under His righteousness for His name's sake. Friends, I tell you, if that don't put a smile on your face, I think your face is broke need to go get it fixed. The more we think about it, the more we understand. David doesn't deny the immediate threat to himself or to those around him, but he reminds them of who their God is. He is the God who is enthroned in heaven, whose foundations are eternally secure. He's the God who sees the activity of the wicked, will judge the wicked, and he will bless the righteous. He is the God who protects the people and provides them with great things. 
he has to give to give himself. If fleeing means taking action apart from the putting faith and trust in God, David says, I want no part of it. My friends, we need not to panic in the things that we see going on in our world, but we need to fall upon our knees before the Lord in faith. Believers in God are to be the people, people of peace, not of panic. We have put our hope in the Lord. Listen again to Psalms 20 and verse 7, which says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. We believe that He has conquered death, Satan and evil, and even the grave. We are to declare, as Colossians 3.15 says, and let the peace of God rule in our hearts. Because we've seen the faithfulness of our God. The second thing that I see from this text that I want you to hear is not only are we not to panic because of what is going on around us, we need to refuse to give up on prayer. I'm afraid that some people have come to the conclusion as the naysayers here in this psalm said that what has your prayer life done for you lately? Thank you for sharing that testimony, Andrea, about how that there were times in your life when it was hard to pray, and it is. When we have suffered great in this world, there are times when we don't know how to pray, but we cannot give up on prayer. I'm thankful that the Bible says that when we don't know how to pray and when we're so broken we can't pray, God said that He prays for us. He lifts our voice, our needs, because He knows us so intimately. He knows what we need even when we can't get the words out. We cannot give up on prayer. Because you and I cannot see everything, because you and I cannot correctly judge everything, but we trust that God sees and He judges that which is right. The unrighteous do not get away with their deeds forever. And this, we place our trust in God. Let me give you five real quick things that happen when we pray. Just to remind you that it is important that we pray and and powerful that we pray. First of all, prayer initializes the burden. Or internalizes, I'm sorry, internalizes the burden. Prayer deepens our ownership of the burden and the partnership with God. As we pray, we begin to become more aware of how God might use us to answer the prayers. How? And how we might involve our, He might involve us in the way that He wants to answer that prayer. Have you ever thought about it before? Have you ever wondered why God just doesn't go ahead and answer that prayer, but He waits until He has positioned us to be a part of that answer to prayer? You see, the thing is that God wants to use us as much as He wants to use Himself as we pray. You see, the thing is that it it internalizes, it, it brings in to us the importance that prayer involves me doing something. We pray for our neighbor who's going through something. And what does God say? Take them a meal tonight. Now we're a part of the answer to our prayer. God bless my neighbor as he struggles. Every week I send out several prayer requests. Every week you have an opportunity to do two things, my friends. You can simply just pray for them. Or you can let prayer internalize itself and say, what can God do through me to help me help God meet that prayer? Too many of us are simply just throwing up a prayer and never asking God, what can I do to be a part of your answer to prayer? What can I do? The second thing that we see prayer does for us is prayer forces us to wait. None of us likes to wait. Nobody likes to wait. I mean, how many of us put something in the microwave and stand there? Okay? Because we don't want to wait. Hurry up, microwave. Come on, 30 seconds has never taken so long. I mean, we, we do everything so that we can do it in a hurry. We don't want to wait. We, we walk through Walmart, we look at all the long lines, and we say, I'm not waiting, I'm not waiting, I'm not, oh, this one's, I won't have to wait as long. We don't like to wait. 
But listen, my friends. Prayer sometimes is about waiting. You see, prayer is sometimes about waiting. Part of prayer is always waiting for God. God has three ways that He answers prayers. We all know them. Yes, no, and the one we don't like, wait. Wait, things are not right for me to answer that. Wait, you're not right for me to answer that. Wait, I've got a better way to give you. We don't like that. We want that instant gratification. John MacArthur says it like this, There is a tension between the boldness and the waiting on God's will. That tension is resolved by being persistent, yet accepting God's answer when it finally comes. Instead of getting frustrated when, that God has not uh, uh, working on our schedule, our timeline, prayer forces us to get on God's timeline. It's so important that we recognize that God's running this universe, we're not. All right, the third thing that we see about prayer is prayer opens our spiritual eyes. You see, prayer opens our spiritual eyes and enables us to get in touch with what God is doing and how He is doing it. There's a Bible study we've done here several times, a couple of times, three times anyways, called Experiencing God. Henry Blackaby wrote this series years ago, and in it he says that God is always at work somewhere. We need to look around to see where God's at work. Prayer does just that. Prayer opens our spiritual eyes to see what God is already doing. Prayer looks around and says, God, I know you're at work. Let my spirit so see it. There's a great story in 2 Kings chapter 6. And you may recall the story when the armies of Israel were surrounded by the enemies. And Elijah's servant gets nervous. And, and, and he sees this army all around him. And he says, we're, we're as good as toast. I mean, we're dead. I mean, these, these, I mean, there's just us. And then there's the army. And I love what it says. Listen to verses 15 through, through 17. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, the host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And the servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Did you hear that? They that be with us are... Wait a minute. I don't see anybody else with us. Oh, hang on. And Elijah then prayed... And said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountains were full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. You see, the reality is prayer opens our eyes to what God is already doing. I can tell you story after story of missionaries who have shared that, that because they, they, they were in such peril that someone back home was praying and their eyes were open to the power and the authority of God's protection about them. Prayer opens our eyes, enabling us to see that God is already working on our behalf. My friends, you and I are blinded without prayer. We cannot see the things of the Spirit without an active prayer life. That's because prayer is simply communicating with God and God communicating with us. We speak to God and God answers us, speaking to us, showing us what He wants us to see and to know and to do. Number four, prayer aligns our hearts with God's heart. It aligns our heart with God's heart. Listen, my friends. Um, the scripture very clearly says that we have a wicked and perverse heart. And so what God is trying to do is through our prayer life is to uh, realign and adjust our heart so that we are looking through His heart and seeing our thoughts, our emotions, our actions become in line with God's plan and His timing. It's so important that we recognize that we desire the things of the flesh he desires the things of the Spirit. And therefore, my friends, we need to be reminded that prayer aligns us with the will of God. Prayer enables us to move forward. Number five, prayer helps us to move from where we are to where God wants us to be. Listen, my friends, it has been because of the power of prayer that I've been able to make some decisions in my life. And I'm sure you're the same way. God has just given you the answer 
and giving you the ability and giving you the, 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 the go-ahead to move from one place to another in your life. Prayer engages God. It enables God's people and it enlarges His kingdom. Jesus said, without me you can do nothing. Once we have prayed, we are ready to do anything. But until we pray, we can do nothing. But once we have prayed, we can accomplish anything in the name of Jesus. The scripture is filled with it. Ask anything in my name. Anything that honors and glorifies God, we have the power through prayer to make it happen. Everything's possible. I love what Mary said when the angel Gabriel came to her and said, you're going to conceive a child. And she said, but I am a virgin. How is it to be? There is nothing impossible with God when we pray. Prayer helps us to remember. Helps us to remember as David remembered. What can the righteous do? We can do a lot of things. We don't need to panic. We need to pray. Because God is always in the right position to see everything. And God is always in the right position to judge everything. And therefore, God is always in the right position to do everything. Thirdly, let's look at the last thing that we see from this. is that the, What can the righteous do when all of it seems to be falling apart around us? We need not to panic. We need not to give up on prayer. But we need to practice righteousness before others. My friends, one of the things that the world is, is, is sadly lacking, and one of the things that we need to show today, especially now that the church has had this little wake-up call, it is time for the church to recognize that we can no longer just come in and fill wonderful buildings and sit in comfortable seats and turn on the air conditioning and enjoy the good music and then go home and do what we want to do. It is time for the church to be the church. God kicked us out of the building so that we would have to be the church in the world where he's called us to be. It's, we cannot forget. We cannot forget the lessons in which God wants us to learn or we will repeat this over and over again until he gets it through our heads. It's time for us to recognize that we need to practice righteousness before others. The righteous are always to practice righteous. Let me remind you that God does not expect the unrighteous to practice righteousness. He expects the wicked to do what they're supposed to be doing, be wicked. He expects you and I as the righteous to be righteous, to do what is right in the sight of God. How do we know what is right? Get your Bibles out and start reading. It's right there before us. He makes it plain and simple. Don't, don't use the excuse, I don't understand what Scripture is saying. If you don't understand what Scripture is saying, one of two things has to happen. One, you need to get on your knees before you open the Bible and say, Lord, reveal your word to me as a servant of the living God. And He will. Or you need to get on your knees and say, God, I'm as lost as a goose. And I need to be saved so that the word of God makes sense to me. One of two problems, my friends. One of two answers right there. We either need to ask God to open us. He said in James, if any man lacks wisdom, wisdom of what? Wisdom to know the word, wisdom to live in this world, wisdom to do what is right, wisdom to do anything. Ask God. But he also said that our sin separates us. Our iniquity separates us from God. He also reminds us that we cannot understand this book. If we've not come to the cross and accept the forgiveness of Jesus and the blood and let Him cleanse us and open us and fill us with His Spirit. It's the Spirit of God living in you that makes this Word sensible. Without it, without the Holy Spirit, it makes no sense to any of us. So let me just give you a few practical things uh, that we need to have. Very quickly, as we pursue righteousness... We need to understand five things. You're going to say at the end of this, man, couldn't you have just given us three? I mean, it is what it is. Seek His presence. First of all, we need to seek His presence. If we're going to live the righteous life in front of the, the, the world, we need to seek the presence of the Lord. Working out, whether spiritually or physically, requires first and foremost you showing up. 
You get it? Uh, how many of us have a gym membership but have never darkened the door? Yeah, you don't have to admit to it. I know there's several of you. I refuse to buy them because I know I'm not going. Okay? I just know it. I've got all the weight equipment, all of the exercise equipment in the basement. I walk right by it to my truck. Okay? All right? I'm guilty. All right? So the, the first thing for both physical exercise and spiritual exercise to grow us, we got to show up. We got to seek the presence of the Lord. Not showing up means getting nothing done, which is why we, we need to seek the Lord's presence every day. So how does one seek the presence of the Lord? Every day, Josh started off our prayer time this morning saying, in my morning quiet time, I'm reading from this 1 Thessalonians. My friends, we need to get before the Lord every day in His Word and in prayer. We need to take time with God. We need to spend time with Him. Second of all, we need to walk in the Spirit. All of us are probably familiar with the the. the, the Verses in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The Apostle Paul declaring the fruits of the Spirit. You know what they are. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's where the Holy Spirit guides and convicts us to practice these attributes every day so that we can bear good fruit before the world. Good fruit grows more good fruit. You ever heard the old saying, one bad apple spoils the barrel? You understand what that's saying? If one bad apple can ruin all the good ones, one good apple can help take, make more good apples. You see, living before the world in a righteousness in which they are looking for, which they are hungering for, shows them that there is a God who can make that change in their life as well. Thirdly, invite wisdom. God places great value on wisdom. That's why James reminds us, as I said earlier, in verse 1-5, if you lack wisdom, go to God. God doesn't want us to have knowledge, my friends. Knowledge is information. Wisdom is the ability to be able to use that information for the glory of God. See, God doesn't want you just to memorize Scripture. He wants you to know Him so He can take that which you have memorized and show it before others. That's wisdom. Number four, be generous. Uh-oh, now you've shut me off. <laughs> He's going to talk about our money. Nah, I don't care about your money. But generosity is a part of that, of course. Galatians 6.10 tells us, do good things for all. Jesus himself tells us that it's better to give than to receive. Generosity is then not only a requirement of our Christian walk, but it's also a byproduct of our pursuit of righteousness. It's natural overflowing of being in a relationship with Jesus Christ. It means that we want to give to others. We want to bless others. We want to help others in time of need. We want to stop alongside the road when somebody's got a flat tire, even though we're busy and we've got someplace to go, and we see them struggling, and we can stop and help them in the name of Jesus. As a matter of fact, Jesus said it something like this. If you give a person a cup of cold water in my name, as simple as a drink of cold water, which I could use right now, okay? I didn't see any of you jump up. No, just kidding, okay? All right, just kidding. All right, the last one, don't be short-sighted. We usually associate short-sightedness with the lack of long-term vision or not being able to see. Many, many years ago, real quick, let me tell you a story church I pastored was mm, probably another 10 feet, all the way out to the, the window out in the foyer to the back row pretty much. And uh, I got to the point where I could not see the, the back three rows slipping out on me about three quarters of the way through my sermon. Couldn't tell who it was so I could call them out the next, you know, the week, you know, and say, hey, what the deal? <laughs> you know, I had to go get a haircut. Well, why didn't you get one before you, you came? It, I didn't need one then, <laughs> you know. So I decided to go to the eye doctors to get uh, uh, my eyes checked and found out that I could no longer see long distances clearly. And so I needed uh, to, to get these glasses. And so I got these glasses and I came back the next week and when they started to stand up, I called them by name and said, where are you going? I said, I can see you now. Okay? I was short-sighted before. 
But I, but I now had the ability to see all the way out there. Now, we usually associate that with a lack of vision, but Peter talks about it in another way. In 2 Peter chapter 1, through five, uh, or chapter 1 verses 5 through 9, Peter uh, uh, talks about it in, in the light. Oh, bless you, child. See, this is the servant of the Lord right there. Thank you, sweetheart. Now, you realize that everybody else, that's going to make me preach another 30 minutes. So, all right. In many ways, Peter is echoing what Paul is saying here. What Paul wrote about the fruits of the Spirit. Paul uh, said in Galatians that we need to have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, uh, gentleness, and self-control. Peter comes back and he's talking about that very same thing, but he takes it a step further than Paul. And, and stating a matter-of-factly that if we do not have these fruits in our lives, if we're not living this out in our life, Peter says we have not gotten salvation. Listen, the absence of these things in our life is the evidence that the Spirit of God is not living in and through us, Peter says. This is what he means by being short-sighted and applying uh, self-righteousness instead of Christ-righteousness to our life. Uh, we need to have the righteousness of Christ, not our own good deeds, but His good deeds through us. That I don't do what I do because I do good deeds. I do what I do because of He who lives within me. And he is living out of me. And that's why I do what I do, is what Peter is saying. So let me close. What are the righteous to do? It seems as though that we're living in a world that is filled with fractions and groups and parties. And we are separating ourselves with red, white, and blues and, 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 and this group and that group. And, and it's hard to draw people in when, when they don't want to be. So what is the righteous to do when the foundations around us are being destroyed? We are to contend in the things that we have been taught. We are to stand up and to be counted. We are to hold fast. Get, let, me, let me remind you of Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. And it says, Be ye not conformed to this world but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove that which is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. The only way that's going to happen, my friends, is first with a relationship with Jesus Christ, second with a daily communication and time with the Lord. Stop worrying about the, what the wicked are doing out there in the world because you cannot do anything about it. And we're not called to. Only the Spirit of God can move upon them and change their hearts. But the question is not, what will the wicked do? The question that I asked this morning is, what is, going, uh, what is the, the, the righteous going to do? What are you going to do? What am I going to do? As the foundations of the world are falling around, what should we do? Everything that we've heard today. We need not to panic and run in fear, but we need to stand and be counted. We need to bow down and we need to pray. We need to be the, the voice of reason that comes from the Word of God. We need to stand on the Scripture and we need to share the Word of God. If God's people would follow God that way, not the ways of the world, but the ways of the Word. If we will do that, then we will see God move and begin to stir in the hearts and lives of people. And we'll begin to see our world change one person at a time. So let me give you a quick invitation this morning. If you're listening this morning, whether here in the room or out in the cars or online or watching the DVD at whatever point, and, and there is not a surety of your heart that you know that you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. That you know that you've met Him at Calvary's cross and that you have asked Him to allow your sins to be covered under the blood of Jesus Christ. If you have not prayed a prayer that has acknowledged that you have sinned and, and His righteousness um, accepts you in the midst of His sin because of what Jesus did on Calvary's cross. 
If you have not committed your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, if you have not said, Lord, I surrender all to you, then I ask you today, would you consider giving your heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ? My friends, the wicked, the wicked of this world can be the righteous of this world. How do I know? Because I was one of them. I was one of them. God took a wicked, sinful heart as mine and He put His Son's life in there. And He changed the direction of my life. I can't even begin to imagine where I would be today without Him. I tell you that what God did for me, He can do for you. So if you've never received Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you. And if you don't know how, simple, simply pray. And then once you've done that, if you will, just give us a call here at the church. Our, our number's on the screen. Um, for those of you that are sitting here and those of you around in the parking lot, you know the number. For those on the screen, the information is right there for you. Call or email us. And, and Josh or I or, or, or someone... We will make sure someone that you're comfortable with comes and speaks with you and shares the gospel with you because we want you to be a part of the kingdom of God. So with that said, let me pray for us. Father, as the foundations of the world are crumbling around us and we see that, Father, that uh, things are not what they used to be, and Lord, it's easy for it to get scary, but thank you that you told us not to panic, but to trust in you. Thank you that you have given us the power of prayer that changes lives. And thank you, Father, for uh, changing my life and the lives of so many others so that we can go out into the world and we can be the righteous. Not self-righteous, but your righteousness. Live the right way before the world so that Jesus Christ is lifted up. For you said, if I be lifted up, then I will draw all men unto myself. Lord, if we, the church, will go out into the world and we will exemplify Jesus Christ, we will lift you up and you, by your work of your Holy Spirit, can change the heart and life of men and women. Father, go forth, we pray. Send us as a mighty army out of the building into your world so that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said,